Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Uh, greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's regular podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And Daniel Zingali, Vice President of the California Endowment and has done many, many things, but one thing he does is know about issues related to health, and that's what we wanted to ask you about today and chat with you about today. A lot's going on in D.C. right now, obviously. We don't know really what's going to happen out here in California with the ACA and Covered California and who will be covered and who won't be. And uh, I guess my first question is, what, what's your take? What do you see, what do you sense happening in California as a result of uh, the executive order the president signed and anything else, that, any signals you're getting? Good to see you, John. Good to see you, Tim. Thank Thanks you. for inviting me to the conversation. And we're both healthy, by the way. Good. That's very <laughs> important to see, too. You know, I, I, there's no question that much of what is emanating from Washington, D.C. Um, appears to pose a serious threat to much of the progress we've made out here in California Yeah. Um, for our health and well-being broadly defined. The most obvious um, is probably the Affordable Care Act which has expanded health coverage to 5 million Californians. Mm -hmm. So that obviously has very positive implications for the health of our state, but uh, which received less attention is it also has had a big benefit for the economic well-being of our state. Mm -hmm. So with uh, that expanded coverage also comes jobs. Um, yeah, I saw 200,000 jobs or something in California. Yeah, I believe is that? that is the estimate. And, and also the people who, have, who didn't have coverage before and now have coverage, there's evidence that there is a a dramatic reduction in third-party debt collections and bankruptcies associated with um, health crises. So uh, not only our health, but our economic well-being depends on it. In fact, UC Berkeley just came out with a study which shows that if you completely eliminate the Affordable Care Act in California, we will actually lose more jobs than we've lost from the drought. So wow, that gives you okay. a sense of how serious um, that, just that piece of, the, of what's coming out of Washington could be. Does it make any sense? Uh, I'm asking because I'm working on a story right now, so I might as well have a free quote if I can. But um, does it make any sense to try again for a single payer or universal health care? I was just doing some due diligence today, and I saw that in 2006, I think, 2007 and 8, those two sessions, we actually passed twice, the legislature passed. Uh, legislation to set up a California health system uh, to provide single, I mean, to set up a single payer system. It didn't have the money, but it did have, it, there was an acknowledgement that maybe single payer universal health care was the way to go. Governor Schwarzenegger voted, uh, vetoed both those. Later, um, then Senator Leno tried the same thing, and it, or similar thing, and it got as far as the Senate floor and it went down by a couple votes. I remember that. Just wondering right now, is there any uh, does that look like a possibility, um, or is well, that just a good story with no real, I, no real I, basis? I think it makes sense uh, to always keep thinking um, positively yeah. about how we could finish the job of covering everybody, yeah. um, which is the goal of single-payer, and also to bring down costs, which mm -hmm. is not only the goal, but the experience of single-payer um, when it's done right in mm -hmm. other places. Um, so I think that's a good goal, but I think what most most folks have their eye on right now is uh, the troubling signs that we may actually be moving in the other direction, having less people covered, uh -huh. uh, which takes us farther away from a system where you would have everybody covered and yeah. uh, get some of those those middleman costs out. I believe Anthony Wright referred to that as moving down the mountain. 
Yes, I think <laughs> you want to move up the mountain where everyone's covered, and we're looking at moving down the mountain. Where yeah, I'm afraid that that there are some some troubling signs like that right now. But you know, just your broader question about um, what we see on the horizon, uh, there are other other bad signs coming out of Washington for California because as we've made progress on the the health coverage front and the economic front, um, we've also made some important progress on things that affect people's health, but you might not automatically think of as being health issues. So, uh, for example, many things that affect our health happen outside of hospitals, outside of doctor's offices, outside of what we traditionally call the health policy debate, where we live, our neighborhoods, our schools, those things have a big impact on our health. So, for example, we've made a lot of progress in California in creating healthier school environments. We've finally got funding to start following some of the need, and with some of that new funding, We've been able to create healthier environments in schools and dealing with things like school discipline. So a short time ago, bear with me on this because this really is about health. Mm -hmm. A short time ago, we were suspending and expelling more kids from California schools than we were graduating. And it turns out that that was because we had some nonsense kind of uh, policies, uh, something called willful defiance where you could kick a kid out of school for very minor things that should be dealt with in school settings. We've been course correcting on that. And what happens when you do that is you actually end up with a healthier school environment and better health outcomes for the kids that you uh, are dealing with in a, in a more common sense way rather than kicking them to the curb, where mm-hmm. you know, yeah. worst case scenarios, they become a health hazard for themselves and the community. And then that's related. I don't know if you've heard the term school to prison pipeline, but bad school discipline policies are related to what people call the school to prison pipeline, where you end up uh, you know, with policies of mass incarceration which completely undermine the state's health. It just not has not worked in any respect, hasn't made us safer, certainly hasn't made us healthier. But, again, California's made some great progress on criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. With Prop 47 and Prop 57, we've been moving from a culture of punishment to one of prevention, um, and that's going to have a great uh, benefit to our state in terms of health outcomes. But there are signs now coming from Washington that um, could run counter to that. So, so what are the what are some of the signs you're seeing? Well, um, you know there are appointees who um, have made their careers out of uh, mass incarceration as a okay. as a policy option, um, and you know we know from experience here in California we tried that we we got pretty out there in front in terms of uh, long sentences for minor infractions, but as we've been right sizing some of those uh, sentencing policies so that you know for example somebody writing a $20 bad check is no longer a felon. Um, it actually has had a positive effect on our state and on our, our uh, state budget, and we think in the long term on the health and safety of our state. So so we don't want Washington all of a sudden trying to push us to go back to this failed approach of mass incarceration just when we're on this prevention What's, what's their lever? I mean, what's their leverage here? Is it, is it keeping money away, it, not giving... I mean, is there money due California that we would not get, do you think? of? Well, I think that's the concern, right? We, we've always been a payer state. We send more California tax dollars oh, yeah. than we get back from Washington. Yeah. So to have talk coming out of Washington about taking more of our California tax dollars away from us by repealing the ACA or by uh, punishing sanctuary cities oh, yeah. um, okay. by, by withdrawing federal funds, um, that, that's uh, not a good scenario for California because we're already giving Washington more than they're giving us back. And if we, um, if that scale tips even further against California, it could threaten the progress we're making out here. Are the sanctuary cities, you mentioned those, are they, um, are, are, is their defiance directly in the face of a loss of federal money? 
as far as you know? Well, I don't think it was intended that way. I uh -huh. think sanctuary cities were intended to, to just uh, be places where undocumented Californians could um, feel like they were safe in calling the police to report a crime, uh -huh. um, very practical reasons yeah. um, for those, those cities like Sacramento and others to adopt that policy. But now there is a threat from Washington that if you do that, um, you could have federal funds cut off. If, in the worst case scenario, if you had all federal funds cut off to sanctuary cities in California, it would be $100 billion with a B. Wow. Um, that'd be everything. I don't think that's constitutional or legal. I think there'd be big challenges over that. But something short of that might uh, withstand legal challenges. And so, again, anything you take away from California in terms of dollars we're sending to Washington is unfair and um, doesn't bode well for us. The fact that... Um We've got Californians that are in leadership positions, like on the Republican side with Kevin McCarthy, uh, and on the Democratic side in the House, Nancy Pelosi is, has been here many, many years. Does that help us at all? Do we have any conduits of information that we can, you know, follow? Do we have friends in Washington that can help us out? Are we so isolated? Is California sort of the outlier? We sort of seem to be positioning ourselves that way. I don't know if we really are or not, but um, do we have any leverage here at all we can we can use? I think we do. You know, um, first of all, California is a, a wealthy nation state, just in the, in the global sense. You know, we're somewhere between five and eight in terms of world economies on the planet. Um, how many are we? 39 million people now almost, between 37, 39, something like that. Um, you know, that, that's a force to be dealt with. And we have strong political, political leadership here. And we have Hollywood. There you go. We have that too. So not to be dismissed. Um, by any stretch, and, and to your question, I think um, we as Californians should expect all of our representatives, Republicans or Democrats, is not a partisan thing, to represent us and look out for our interests. So when we're making progress in our health, the health of our state, the economy of our state, those things that are moving in the right direction, it's the job of everyone who represents us in Washington or here in Sacramento to look out for that progress. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think that will be a factor in all this. You know, when we were sitting on the couch over there earlier, we were looking at some of the graphics, and one of the, one of them was a, um, looked like it was sort of, might have been a poster, uh, the age expectancy, life expectancy by zip code, and one particular zip code it was, and I don't remember the numbers, but one of them was 72, and another one it was 86. So where you live has a direct, has a direct, is a direct determinant of how long you live? It is. In fact, you know, one of the things we, we say often is that your zip code may tell you more about how long you'll live than your genetic code. And the reason for that... I've seen your, uh, I think I've seen an ad campaign referring Yeah, it's to a that. startling thing to contemplate. And the reason is that is because the, the, what surrounds you is having a major impact on your health. We tend to think of health as, as in the confines of, again, um, doctor's offices, hospitals, and also individual responsibility, which is important, what you eat, whether you exercise. But what's startling to discover is how much of what will affect your health and your very lifespan, your time on Earth, has to do with things that are that feel beyond your control. Um, you know, whether you have uh, clean air and water, whether you have access to uh, affordable, healthy food, safe places to exercise, all those things are what people call social determinants of health. Feel to many people like they're beyond their control, although decisions are made, policy decisions, investment decisions, mm -hmm. that determine why one zip code generally more affluent ones, mm -hmm. uh, will we'll have healthy surroundings where people may live 15, even 20 years longer than someone a few miles wow. away okay. in a lower income yeah. zip code. I so. remember reading in, um, it was quite a while ago, in the California Health Report, uh, 
it seemed like everything was involved with healthcare. I mean, it was the, the type of sand in the sandbox versus the, was it the chips versus the silicate, I guess? Sure. Wood chips uh, versus yeah. silica. Yeah. Zoning. Zoning, public, yeah. you know, uh, municipal zoning, the way that's handled and what neighborhoods fall sure. where and how they're divided. Where you up. dump the toxic yeah. materials. I mean, yeah. guess where those usually end up? Not in the affluent areas. But very in little in ESAC. Yeah. Very, very little toxic yeah. waste dumping. Yeah. The other thing, though, to keep an eye on are advertisements, right? Um, you know, there are certain neighborhoods where you're inundated with advertisements for tobacco and alcohol yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and other neighborhoods where you could never get away with that. You know, just politically, you don't um, yeah. yeah, you're not going to see those things. And they, they have a major impact on our children and on the health of our neighborhoods. Well, sure. And I know one of the things they dealt with, right, you know, we're here in Sacramento, downtown Sacramento, and Alkali Flat is just a few blocks away. And I know that they had done a study and showed that almost every business in Alkali Flat was basically selling cigarettes and alcohol because that's the only way they could stay open. That's, mm-hmm. you know, the only yeah. thing yeah. they could turn over that quickly. And you didn't have access. I, I want to say... There was not, not a single place in Alkali Flat that you could actually buy a fruit or a vegetable yeah, it's, you know, that's at one point. Unfortunately, unfortunately, that's often the case. And what's underneath that are policy decisions yeah. that are being made that, that allow for there to be neighborhoods where that's the case and other neighborhoods where it's, it's not. And so to, to create a more equitable, more fair um, California, you have to confront that. And you have to confront who has power and voice and who doesn't. Because there are certain neighborhoods and zip codes where... They just the residents would not tolerate that because they have enough sure. clout, and so, and it's, you know those places where people are underrepresented, disenfranchised, maybe just disillusioned, and disconnected, um, where the worst things happen. Well, they also, uh, you know, to be fair, part of it's just the economics that if you're in a neighborhood that has a lot of money and people who are doing quite well, they can afford to have the organic grocery store. You know, the co-op can open right there. That's right. And uh, you can open a co-op in Alkali Flat, but I don't know how many of the people that live there are going to be able to afford, uh, you know, an organic orange, you know, or an organic head of lettuce. Yeah. Well, the good news is you actually can make uh, healthy food affordable and accessible to people. There are some good models for doing that. Part of what the endowment's been working on, our Building Healthy Communities plan, um, has done that, where we've partnered with some uh, grocery stores, and they've uh, actually done well in poor neighborhoods. But um, but you're right. The way the, the assumption now is that you know that's a neighborhood where you put a liquor store and you save the uh, place that has fresh fruits and vegetables for the, the higher end. And I think now, were you involved with getting? Uh food stamps being able to be taken at some of the farmer's markets. I know at our local farmer's market here in Sacramento, they actually have a little stand set up where you can turn in your food stamps and they give you a script that you can use at the farmer's market. Yeah, we support that. That's a good policy. Um, you know, food assistance, first of all, is an important um, uh, program for helping lift people out of poverty, just keep them healthy and thriving uh, during difficult times. And it's another program we have to be concerned about right now with what we're hearing coming from Washington. But it should be done right, and um, that means doing everything you can to encourage people to use that benefit for their health. Um, you know, one of the positions uh, I've advocated for a long time, which is co- controversial, is that I don't think uh, food assistance should cover soda. And you know, I have friends, close friends, who are advocates, poverty advocates, who feel that that's um, patronizing, uh, even stigmatizing of poor people. But, uh, you know, I'm also an advocate for lower-income people, and I feel strongly that, um, that food stamps should pay for healthy food and that you're not, you know, there's no right to use a, a, that benefit for unhealthy 
for something that's not even a food product, frankly. Do, like do so. they cover soda now? Do they cover they sodas? Do, they do, and they shouldn't. Okay. Yeah, they shouldn't. Basically, food stamps cover any kind of food, am I correct? Um, I think that's mostly true. Yeah, it's not like WIC, um, but that's right. You, yeah. Remember you that debate that was wh whether ketchup was a vegetable? Yeah. I think ketchup was, is fine. Ketchup, okay. I mean, as far as food stamps are concerned, not the healthiest of substances, but, but honestly, soda is more, more a chemical than it is a food. It has no nutritional value. It's responsible for about 40% of the obesity di diabetes epidemic. There's just no reason that that program should be paying for that. You know, they have craft sodas. I know because my son really likes They have craft sodas that are made with cane sugar. Yeah. And they cost a lot more yeah. than the sodas like... Uh, and they taste better. And they taste yeah. better than the high, high, what is it, high fructose you know, syrup or whatever yeah. they use, you know. My guess is they don't sell many of those in Alpine Flat. However, they are no. well-stocked at Cody Brothers right and now. And I'm sorry to tell you, but even the cane sugar is... is I was not, afraid. It's not going to do you a lot of good if you're, you're combating obesity. Anything I like is bad for me. It's catch-22. <laughs> you know? Drink you know, water. Drink water. You know, what's funny is my wife and I, you know, we have an old house. We bought some, a lot of vintage things that go in there, and, and you get old glassware, and a single-serving glass from the 1940s is tiny. Yes. And that's what people used to drink. They would have one glass of soda, and it was about you know twice the size of a Dixie cup. And I'm, I mean, and I'm now not it's a big gulp. Yeah, yeah and now it's a 32-ounce big gulp, and I, you know, I have family members who drink multiple big gulps a day yeah. of soda. Yeah. And you know, it's very funny that we this is now normal. There was a time where this was not normal. Well, we need to, you know, in the end, people are going to make their own choices. And, um, you know, I'm not for, uh, by any means advocating a law against people being able to drink soda if they want to. But or smoke cigars, I hope. Even cigars. Okay, okay. But I do think we need to try to do a better job of giving people the basic information. You know, and we've done that with tobacco, right? right? We, yeah. we put warning labels on. Uh, we've taken some other steps that have really made a big difference. So people are making smarter choices. As a result, we, California has led the nation in terms of reduction of, of uh, lung cancer. Costs go down for everyone because remember when people get sick when we don't they don't need to from those lifestyle influences, it costs the system costs everybody yep. money. So with soda, I think simple things like you know warning labels, just letting people know that you know most people don't realize that almost half of the obesity diabetes epidemic is directly traceable to soda. Just so really. So okay. tell people that, and they might make different choices. Maybe they won't you know give up soda entirely, yeah. but you might have a few less. Is that something we can do at the state level, or is that a federal, that label? Uh, yeah, you could do that at state we level. Could and didn't they also, uh, now there were cities that have put this on the ballot. Three cities passed oh, soda yeah, yeah. taxes yeah. Yeah. in November, and with all the news of the November election. Richmond, I think, got in. Richmond was one. I think um, Berkeley is one. I think San Francisco may ultimately have done that. Um, but but that's I think that's really interesting because I think and I, and I believe they're using the money for health for children's health yeah. those kinds of things so it'll be interesting to see if like with tobacco a soda tax will actually bring down consumption uh -huh. and uh, if you use the money in the right way it might even further educate people about some of the risks um, I think two bucks a, a pack is a huge hit yeah. two bucks a pack so you got to think at some point I don't know what that puts it at now I think it must be six or eight bucks or you've got to think at some point people have to say gosh is this worth it or not it does yeah, yeah. smoking goes down when you when you raise the tax yeah. on them we well, found that I, I actually have a friend who he refused to quit smoking, but he did start rolling his own and buying his own <laughs> raw tobacco. He's a diehard. Yeah. No pun intended. So, uh, well, so we, okay. well, on that pleasant note, I think we'll, uh, we'll draw this wonderful conversation to a close. Daniel Zingali, thank you very much. Gentlemen, Thanks always love seeing you. Thanks thank for you. Thank, thank you, you very much. And this is John Howard. We'll see you next time around. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.